the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, where we discuss all things crypto-related. Your host, Kieran Ryan. One of the criticisms of cryptocurrencies is their lack of convenience. It comes down to the buying of a coffee test. For most people, buying a coffee using cryptos like Bitcoin is practically impossible because they lack the technical skills to do it. Those using the Bitcoin Lightning Network would argue that that problem has been solved. While this is true, mass crypto adoption is still several years off, which means payment cards like Visa and MasterCard face no real challenge from cryptos, at least not yet. Then there's the security aspect. A crypto payment sent to the wrong address is gone forever. With a card transaction at least, you have someone to help you recover that money in the case of a mistake or fraud. The idea that card companies are sitting back waiting for cryptos to gobble up their markets is far from the truth. MasterCard, for example, has more than 24 live crypto programs on the go. MasterCard's 2022 annual report shows revenue up 18% to $22.2 billion over the previous year, and nearly half of that was net profit. No sign there of any market attrition. Joining us to look at this in more detail is Robert Bryan, Director for Cyber and Intelligence Solutions at MasterCard. Welcome, Robert. First time on the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast. Good to have you. And you. Thanks. I heard you speak at the Blockchain Africa conference a short while ago, and I was surprised at how involved you are in the crypto space. You've got more than 20 projects on the go with crypto companies. Explain a little bit about that and where you see the future of payments. Sure. So we've actually got about 27,000 issuing banks that are working with us on crypto. I think in the project space, I think it would be in the more than uh, tens of dozens. I think the, the 24 number seems a little bit low, but certainly we're, we're very involved in all aspects of making sure that there's acceptance, transparency, trust, and really injecting what you've come to know from the brand around really safety and security and making sure that cardholder that you're protected and also to make sure that that relationship in the ecosystem between you, your bank, who's guarding your money and who has your wallet is really maintained. And that's where I think a lot of the criticism and even mysticism around crypto products has been allowed to flourish, um, that these bad actors, the adversary has really been able to creep in, take advantage of it, as well as the hype, and then be able to insert themselves and inject them in a way that they've been able to displace or uh, remove you from your relationship with those that you were traditionally banking with, as an example. And in this way, it's seen as disruption. Now, of course, this disruption is, is great for them if they want to part you from your money. So we've always been, over the last 60 years of our company's history, very involved in the safety and security aspects. And this is really what we're trying to bring to leverage on the crypto space. And it's really why we've taken the extent of being so involved to enable an ecosystem that's secure, that's transparent, and also that includes these uh, binding elements of security by design. I mean, I want to come back to that point about the, the, the security, but the, the fact that you're so involved in the crypto space, it clearly does indicate that you see some sort of mergence happening where crypto transactions and traditional card payments are going to merge somehow. Just talk about that. Sure. I, look, I think uh, what we're seeing overall is that there's quite a lot of consumer demand. Um, there's clearly a lot of use of these different products, whether it's transactional, whether it's speculation. In some cases, you know, what we're really after is that underlying transparency and trust component to make sure that when you try and do a transaction, that someone can pay and be paid. And also that uh, the fraudsters and the bad actors out there aren't able to inject themselves in a way and take money that's not theirs. So that's one of the reasons why we've uh, 
really tried to shed some light on the landscape, include uh, strong components of governance, and also to help regulators around the world really frame how they can look at this new phenomenon, um, whether it's from a regulatory supervision and oversight point of view, and also down to the underlying technology, to the point that you know we've got many governments, for example, who are customers that use our data attribution and uh, analytics tools in order to be able to identify transactions, in order to be able to do some tracing components, all the while kind of maintaining um, an element of uh, transparency. Okay, I mean, I gave you a figure in the intro of uh, MasterCard revenue, 22.2 billion, I mean, that's pretty huge. But that's just a fraction of the size of transactions that you handle every year. Can you give us a sense of the size of the company in terms of figures? For example, how sure. many cardholders, issuers, and so on? So I think we might have uh, something in the region of three and a half billion plus uh, cardholders out there. I think in the number of transactions, it might be over 14 trillion transactions. 14 trillion transactions. Yeah. So okay. in terms of the actual value in that, it would be uh, significantly higher. But what we enable in terms of the movement of flows and the exchange of uh, goods and services and making sure the merchant, the small business gets paid, you know, all of that happens in the fraction of a second that it takes to do clear off and settle um, so that when you produce your card or your device or your token, that you've got absolute trust that uh, there's no way for somebody to inject themselves into the transaction flow and steal money. One figure that you mentioned at the Blockchain Africa conference, and it staggered me, was how many attempted attacks you have to defend against every year. And I think it was like 200 million a year. Maybe I've got that wrong. But whatever it was, it's, it's a huge figure. And it just, I guess, gives some sense of how robust your security systems have to be. Yeah, I think uh, the stat translates to roughly something like 200 attacks a minute. 200 attacks a minute. On Sorry. our network. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we can do the maths annually. That's a significant volume. And, uh, you know, every day we're kind of playing the World Cup. We've got significant pressure on our network, but we've also learned that, look, the value of cooperation out there, it, it's not uh, just about our brand uh, as a competitor to other payment brands. Uh, actually, the real adversary is really the bad actor and the fraudster. And uh, scams and schemes is something that we can really clamp down on. And that's also why we've taken the extent of protecting small businesses, for example, to make sure that... Uh, no matter what the size and the scale, you know, big bank, big financial institution, big budget for uh, IT security and, and so on, and extensive program and investment, if we left a, uh, a small business unprotected, then, you know, the ultimate vector where the fraud's going to move, it's going to be to that uh, weakest link. So what we're trying to do is to make sure that everybody's covered. And in that way, you know, we're really building a brand around uh, safety and security and trust. I mean, if you're getting 200 attacks a minute, that, that means several a second. You're obviously able to beat these off w without too much worry. You don't look too stressed yourself. Is that the case, or are they getting pretty inventive in the way that they attack? Look, uh, the adversary is difficult to spot. They look like uh, there could be anybody in the room here in the studio. Uh, honestly, the, the level of uh, script kiddies and the offenders, we think something like 60% of offenders are under the age of 23. This, in some cases, is a one-time gig. Um, there's also more serious actors out there that, that have a real part to play in what we see. But the other side is that, look, we've got a very strong corporate security team that look internally and externally at threats. And then anything that we use or anything that we sell to customers, you know, we're using ourselves. So we've been through this really strong investment round of looking at technology, making sure that it works, doing some enhancements and then also making sure that we cascade that benefit out to our customers, which ultimately means that you as a cardholder, when you're doing a tap transaction, 
um, that you know that there's a, a brand behind it, but there's also been significant investment and thought leadership to make sure that you're protected. One point that many people take for granted when you do a card transaction is that it just takes a few seconds, as you mentioned earlier. But I don't think that the transaction is cleared until a few days later because you do a lot, a lot of batching. You, you group these transactions together. Uh, for example, ABSA will accumulate probably hundreds of thousands of transactions and do one clearing process at the end of the day. Maybe that's the case. I, I don't know. This was certainly the argument that was brought up by people in the crypto space where blockchain you really are when you do a transaction you don't have an agent that you can phone mm. at uh, at absa or at mastercard who can reverse it if you make a mistake so if you make a mistake on the blockchain it's permanent that money is gone however you know the, the blockchain has been held up as as something i'm talking really about bitcoin here it's, it's it's never been hacked the same is true for many other blockchains as well but it's not to say that it couldn't happen so you're only as strong as your weakest link in this. And uh, I just want to see how you you feel this is, is this something that's going to be integrated into your systems blockchain at some point? Look, I think the reality is probably that you've got to look at interoperability and ubiquity. So whatever payment platform you want to use, it's probably going to be on your device, okay, in some kind of form factor. It could be in a ring, in a watch, in a chip ultimately at some point, or it could just be your facial recognition that we're able to initiate a transaction. I think that's going to be a factor that we've got, including in, in a metaverse as well, you know, in, in a virtual world completely. The, the reality around clearing, batching, settlement, all of that, you know, it relies on, on core banking systems and so on. The processing costs and the amount of energy required to do it um, is obviously one of the aspects of this. The other side is that the use of mining mixes you know, you said that Bitcoin has never been hacked, but I would argue, okay, well, is a uh, fork, um, a 51% attack, uh, a hack? I think those have definitely happened. The other side is that, look, I think there's something like 40,000 different currencies out there and exchanges. So the plethora of options are there. The question is, you know, which brand, Kieran, are you going to go with in order to be able to access this new phenomenon so that you can pay for your coffee you know that element of coffee coffee test the other side is what kind of um, dispute rights chargeback are you going to get if it wasn't you and maybe your phone was stolen or somebody created a synthetic identity or in some way had a, a Kieran mask and walked into a coffee shop and did a, a, a selfie pay transaction to pay for the coffee using some kind of coin or CBDC or stable coin. I think what we're trying to do really is to inject the elements of, uh, of the, the safety and security components. The scheme rules as well are really important to make sure that there's an ecosystem to be managed between the merchant who's giving you that coffee the cardholder who's present trying to pay for it to walk away with that that hot beverage and ultimately um, the use case is great but there's also another element in that component and that is the fraudsters and the bad actors and uh, for sure it may not be a coffee that they want to walk away with but we don't want to have crypto as being a means of cash out and that's really why we're trying to enable this to be um, safe and secure but it shouldn't be the go-to method that fraudsters think look there's uh, complete uh, lack of transparency, and uh, everything's obfuscated and masked. Um, we want to make sure that they know that uh, we're able to see the transactions and that we can inject a whole element of trust into those different use cases. So do you foresee a time when Bitcoin, for example, or one of these 40,000 other alternative cryptos would be options that might be available if you have a MasterCard to transact? 
Uh, I think that there are already several options that, that do exactly that. You know, So you can pick from your wallet provider, from your exchange, from your uh, MasterCard partner. On the crypto secure side, for example, launch some programs in in uh, in this region and Middle East and Africa, where you're actually able to do just that. You're able to transact in a coin of your choice, depending on what the wallet provider or the exchange is, is allowing you to do. And for sure, we're not going to offer or we're not going to allow the exchange partner or the, the, the VASP, the CASP, the option to do high-risk transactions or high-risk coins. Um, that's an element that we've really cut out with, with CypherTrace. Um, more on that in a minute. But you really get the the option to be able to choose between Bitcoin, Ethereum, a CBDC, a stablecoin, you know, take your pick, depending on the use case. And, you know, if uh, Kieran's buying a yacht in Monaco tomorrow, you're probably not going to use a transaction method. That means that you end up paying the highest fees. You know, you're going to be very selective. So I think in that case, consumers are going to be able to pick the use case that suits them the best, where they've got very good understanding of the fees involved, of the rates and so on that they're going to pay to the different parties in it, but also the ones that offer them trust. So if you wanted to move money, for sure you can do it very quickly using nefarious means, mm. but you're also going to pay fees and there's obviously an element of both physical and uh, and financial risk in those. And in many cases, there's very little chance of recovery or enforcement. In some ways, that, that element is really brought back to being central to the, to the offering, and that is that we're giving you a choice where you can make an informed decision where risk is being managed by an entity that you trust, whether it's your bank, whether it's your exchange, whether it's a brand that you know, um, in order to make it accessible so that the fly-by-nights aren't able to, to exploit this. Just to be clear, is it the issuer then who would offer that interoperability, that ability to be able to use either Bitcoin or Ethereum or Rand or Dollar if you're buying a yacht or if you're buying a coffee? Or is, is MasterCard really in the background there providing the rails, providing the technology that enables that? Who is the person ultimately responsible for issuing a type of product which would allow you yeah. to pay with these different options? So depending on the crypto program, we kind of offer all shades in that spectrum. So we do, for example, offer through a partner um, the ability for a bank to do crypto custody as a service where you can buy, sell and hold. But instead of you going out to the market in the app store, maybe trying to download um, to do business with an exchange, um, you'd effectively work that banking relationship that you've got um, in order to be ac able to access the currency. And then you can transact or you can speculate or do whatever other activities you want to do with financial products. So we kind of offer everything in that spectrum um, from crypto custody as a service to a crypto wallet to a crypto loyalty program. So it allows you to earn and burn um, rewards as an example, but where your cash out mechanism, um, instead of having points, is that you can convert those points um, instead of into miles, maybe into some kind of uh, CBDC or stablecoin or uh, a digital currency. Fascinating. I did not know that. Okay, I, I want to ask you about AI, artificial intelligence. You mentioned that the, the future of security will probably be along the lines of, you know, biometric data, facial recognition and that kind of thing. You've probably seen this explosion of AI and, and how realistic, how photographically realistic some of these images being generated by AI machines are. It occurred to me, is it not possible? Is this not a gift to the, to the scammers, you know, where they can do a likeness of you? Mm. Uh, pretend to be you and even copy your fingerprint somehow? So I, I think, look, in terms of uh, biometric components, the the uh, irrefutability of some of them 
is renowned. You know, your 13 or 11 different uh, digits on your face that uniquely identify you. Um, I think that proof of liveness uh, has long been a, a challenge in some respects. But actually, the evolution of synthetic identities, okay, so we can actually manufacture using software. Um, we can take a picture of a, of a young person, advance their age by maybe 40 years, and suddenly they're into the high net worth kind of category. And then we start taking out financial products and loans and so on using that synthetic identity or even of somebody who never existed. And this um, has already been done. We can make a composite fo photograph and identity based on stolen information. And this has already been done. So the technology that we inject into the device, for example, at the point that you do a transaction where we can identify such things as your passive biometrics, how you hold your device, are you left or right-handed, how do you scroll, do you use your thumb, do you use your digits, is there maybe a hundred devices all laying flat on a desk in what we call a human farm somewhere where your stolen credentials are being displayed on a screen and we've got lots of human operators or devices daisy-chained and using a script to try and brute force um, proof of liveness. You know, so we're able to uh, interdict some of these uh, components very quickly. The other side is that in terms of biometrics and facial recognition, where it's going to get to from an AI standpoint, conversational AI is uh, relatively new. It's clearly where the hype is at the moment. Maybe two years ago, we were talking about machine learning. We use uh, a combination of very good patented technologies around our Britarian platform to really inject this uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence into transactions, into decisioning, and ultimately into accumulating a whole bunch of sensors. So as much as the fraudsters have, have been out there investing or utilizing the gig economy, everything as a service, including uh, syndicated fraud, synthetic IDs, you know, even deep fakes to the point that, you know, what's a deep are, fake? So a deep fake is where I use AI to take a, a, a synthetic voice. Okay, so I reproduce Kieran's voice to phone a relative and maybe ask for a demand for a ransom. So I've hijacked Kieran. You need to transfer a million dollars, even though Kieran's sitting at home completely unaware. And so the deep fake technology means that I don't even need to be in studio today, that I could be producing this using a deep fake, using a sample of my voice and a couple of seconds of footage. And that's a, you know, that's a real concern that uh, this kind of level of uh, synthetic identity, I think will be really where we'll be focusing on um, different elements, particularly when you t transfer that into the metaverse, you know, into a virtual world um, where you're able to transact, where you're able to commit crime completely virtually with very little consequence. Um, so that's really an element where we've tried to stay one step ahead. So we're really investing heavily in uh, things like the PCI Council, in like uh, different components of AI research, including encryption, you know, quantum proofing um, encryption methods, and very heavily involved in watching that space um, to make sure that uh, we stay one step ahead. Give us a bit about your background. I mean, this sounds like a, a phenomenal challenge you've got. Uh, the, the inventiveness of the, of the crooks is quite unbelievable and it's probably going to get more so with, with AIs. So well, what's your background? I, I know you, you, you went to St. George's College in Harare, same school I went to, uh, another old Georgian. Um, but anyway, how did you get into this field? So probably by accident. Uh, maybe it's karma. Maybe I did something in a past life and now I'm atoning for it. But no, I think a set of circumstances kind of led me from uh, doing, I think, physical security work, um, security risk assessments into the operational risk world, looking at control design, but not from a financial or forensics background at all. 
but I think just having to accumulate different skill sets and transfer them between industries. And so we're seeing a lot more of this, um, I think, demand for IT, information security, physical security specialists um, that have multi-domain knowledge moving into what has been traditionally a, a very payments banking focus. And definitely seeing a lot of transference um, with people with similar backgrounds to mine. Are you a crypto fan? Uh, I think I would probably put me in the realm of crypto skeptic in some aspects, but uh, I think some? I, uh, I'm not going to answer that question. Okay. But I think in terms of um, where it's going to go to, look, for sure there's instruments out there that are pure speculation. I think just the green aspects of how much energy they consume on uh, what is effectively speculation, um, I think that that's, too, that's a, a very narrow um, interest band. I think uh, for sure the ability to do safe and secure transactions with uh, very low fees, distributed ledger, all the transparency that it offers, as well as irrefutability, I think that that's going to do a lot of good. I think that the applications of, of distributed ledger um, would do a lot to transform things like governance, for example. Um, and I think that's you know something a lot of what we need is, uh, is more transparency and governance. You obviously haven't heard Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy talking about uh, this very point about energy consumption. It, it, most Bitcoin that has been produced today is using marginal energy. In other words, energy that can be switched off or that is not peak baseload. Mm-hmm. I want to find out about MasterCard's plans because it sounds like you're moving at a rate of knots into this, this very digital and potentially risky world. What, what, what innovations have you got planned? So I think in terms of the, the volume of programs from a product and from an engineering and from a security standpoint, you know, there's a, a whole raft of programs that are looking forward at, at how these different innovations can be incorporated, how the consumer is going to use them, how the small business is going to use them, how a big corporate might be using them, and also how it transfers out of purely financial services into, you know, for example, how you might create a, an insurance policy. How do you get cover quickly? How do you initiate a claim, as an example? How do you do things like stock management um, using distributed ledger? Or, I don't know, for example, how do you track a jar of honey to say that it's actually been produced where it says it's been produced? You know, all of that can be injected using distributed ledger. Um, So I think the applications in that space are uh, pretty vast. I think for now, our focus is really around um, bringing those use cases to market in a way that protect cardholder in a way that uh, protects um, players in the ecosystem from a safety and security standpoint and also that inject trust. One of the big benefits of blockchain technology is the fact that you can do payments at a fraction of the cost that would traditionally cost you for a MasterCard or a Visa. And I think the World Bank did a study on this just showing that the, the progress of time, the reduction of the, the cost of transactions, this is for remittances, which is a huge part of the African economy. Places like Gambia, it's about 25% of their entire economy is remittances. So you are seeing this kind of pressure on fees. Are you noticing that at MasterCard? Look, I think in terms of the choices for the consumer, a lot of that is application of uh, a risk-based approach. A bank is charging um, interchange, for example. Some of that's a dynamic of risk. Some of it's a dynamic of counterparty exposure in making sure that settlement happens, that you can actually do a chargeback. But there's got to be a better option for somebody who you know, lives in one of our neighboring countries where the only option available is to send cash with the runner. 
um, in exchange for 20% of commission with no real certainty or comeback on whether it's going to get there. And, you know, indeed, if the actual physical cash gets intercepted, then you don't have a lot of choice. So I think that that has to change. I think that making that accessible um, is going to require a level of investment. I think it's also going to require a level of financial inclusion that we maybe haven't seen before. And I think all of those components mean that, look, there's going to be good actors and bad actors out there. Um, I think some of those dynamics are going to have to be priced in to keep bad actors out and at the same time offer better choices to, to consumers. Did you see the documentary by Al Jazeera called The Gold Mafia? I've about the gold seen experts of it, yes. Yeah, you have, yeah. okay. One of the things that they brought up in that was the system of hawala, which is a system of transferring. It's an old, uh, it's ancient method of mm. transferring money between countries. So you got money sitting here in South Africa, but you need euros in Germany, for example. And somebody in Germany needs rands in South Africa. You just do an offset, basically. Mm. I didn't realize how massive that was and still is. Um, and this, of course, is completely off books. It's, it's not showing up on any GDP mm. figures. It's not showing up on any transaction database, not through the, the, the payments database that the South African Reserve Bank runs. Is this something that you intersect with at any point? I mean, everybody is trying to move the world towards a digital economy. And there's, there's a lot of opposition within the, the crypto community about CBDC, central bank digital currencies, mm -hmm. because the potential for programmable money um, if in misbehavior, you, you, can, you can very quickly find yourself falling foul of the, the revenue authorities. So, for example, you know, you, it might be money that's only valid for four months. You've got to spend it in that period of time. But is this something that you're incorporating into your plans? I, I mentioned the gold mafia thing basically as, as a problem that regulators are, are, will have to solve. It is unregulated. It is unknown how big it is. Sure, look, one of the, the major adversaries, I guess, that from an alliance approach point of view that we're trying to combat is uh, transnational financial crime. The best transaction method that they have in terms of obfuscation and uh, keeping the authorities and enforcement away is really to retain cash. So from that aspect, you know, you can move money, you can enroll the system of Hawala, and uh, it really allows some of these networks to flourish. The product that we offer, for example, in order to be able to offer an alternative that is uh, an element of uh, auditability that has restrictions placed on it, that has governance, that has cross-border flows and so on, is uh, MasterCard Send. And that would allow you to send, um, send funds from one bank effectively to another card. And in that way, you know, for a, a, a very low fee, effectively move the funds around. Um, but in a way that um, doesn't flout um, exchange control, balance of payments, all of the other um, issues, which clearly organized crime are not interested in, in being compliant with any shade of those. It also removes a lot of physical risk from the account holder or from the, the consumer. So in some aspects, digitizing is uh, probably what uh, organized crime um, sees as their, one of their major threats. Um, the physical component of, of moving cash, you know, carries a big cost. You know, we know in this country, for example, that a lot of the contact crime is associated with, with cash, cash movements, and so on. Um, so if we could offer for a consumer the alternative to instead of sitting on a weekly salary or a daily salary, monthly salary, that you're cash paid, and then you have this risk of going home, having a commute with a, a relatively large sum of money or traveling to a funeral, for example, without a big wad of cash, 
if there's a way for you to digitize that where you also offer a level of protection, you know, a zero liability guarantee that we have for a cardholder, that we can actually replace the funds, that you've got a, a means of, of recovery. And uh, I think that's only a good thing. I think it's it's inexorable. It's going to happen. Uh, it just depends how quickly we, we, we're going to move from cash to digital. Protesting and screaming those who, who reject it for whatever reason, uh, I think that's ultimately going to be fairly futile. But on the other hand, it could take 50, 70 years for cash to be removed uh, in, in Africa completely because, as you know, to the north of us, there's far more reliance on cash than there is in South Africa. Robert Bryan. Thank you very much for joining us in the studio. That's Robert Bryan, Director for Cyber and Intelligence Solutions at MasterCard. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Kieran. Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Crypto Podcast, hosted by Kieran Ryan. To listen to our other podcasts, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates.